This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. It's good to see you here. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor at Christian Chapel. If you're a guest, we're especially glad that you're joining us today. Uh, You're joining us right on the tail end of a fall message series where we have walked through the Ten Commandments. Uh, But no worries. If this is your first Sunday, uh, it's uh, it's just as good as the ones at the beginning and the ones in the middle. So uh, this morning, we're just continuing that journey through. We've been learning uh, from the Ten Commandments that God gives us the Ten Commandments and He gives us the whole law because it's good. It's a a reflection, a description of how we are supposed to live individually as God's people and also collectively as God's community. Uh, We've also explored each week how in our own power, we are always going to fall short of perfectly keeping the law. Because even if we can uh, perfectly obey uh, on, on the outside, Jesus comes along and tells us he's not just concerned with our actions, he's concerned with our heart. And so he expands the law and shows us, you know, it's, it's not just do not murder, it's do not hate and do not get angry. It's not just do not commit adultery, it's do not lust. This morning we'll see it's, it's not just do not lie, but just live a life of complete honesty and integrity. And, and with that expansion, it brings us all to the point where we realize I can never do that on my own. I'm going to mess up one way or another. And this morning, as we get into uh, do not lie, we're, we're all going to have to admit, uh, I can't even keep that one. Like, forget the internal. I can't even do the external on my own, right? I, I have broken it time and time and time again. And our hope each week is not to bring us to a point where we are just completely crushed by the weight of the law, but to bring us to a point where we recognize we are weak, but Jesus was strong. We cannot fulfill the law, but he did it for us. And then he offered himself as a sacrifice. He suffered, he died, he rose from the dead. And it's the resurrected Christ who now comes to us and says, I fulfilled the law to purchase your perfected identity. And now I'm giving that back to you. And you can walk in this new life by the power of my Holy Spirit that I give to you. So where we want to end each week is letting the Spirit convict us of our inability and of our sin, but also letting him glorify Jesus to us as the answer for all of our weakness and that we will walk by faith into this new relationship with him. There's an idea from R.T. Kendall. He was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London for years that, that has kind of been guiding us through this. And he says, if we were to walk in the spirit, we would fulfill the law accidentally even if we had never heard of the Ten Commandments, right? So when you leave this morning, if you leave with, I'm going to do these three things and then God will love me more, I have failed you completely, right? When we walk out the doors this morning, our hope is to walk out with a renewed commitment to live by the power of the Spirit and to let Him give us both the desire and the ability to live as Jesus calls us to live. So with that in mind, we're going to look at the ninth commandment this morning. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You are probably more familiar with this as simply you shall not lie. Now the the setting of the ninth commandment describes a legal setting in which you are lying to condemn an innocent person or lying to get something from an innocent person. And so it it takes the idea of lying and puts it in its most extreme position because if we're honest, the worst lie we can tell is the one that unjustly condemns an innocent person. 
Now, as with with the other Ten Commandments, each of these commandments covers a whole category of life. And as you read through the Old Testament, these categories are expanded. So you shall not um, bear false testimony against your neighbor. As you begin to read through the rest of the Old Testament, that's expanded out to you need to be honest in your relationships with your family members. You need to be honest in your relationships with your neighbors. You're not going to be out moving boundary stones between your property and the neighbors. You're not going to uh, weight the scales so that you get the advantage in a business relationship. You're not going to uh, cheat the sacrificial system by trying to offer this gimpy little animal instead of the one that God has asked for. And so this 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 lifestyle of integrity and honesty flows out of the ninth commandment. What the ninth commandment is teaching us is God is a God of truth, and he expects his people to be a people of truth and his community to be a community of truth. Now, the way of truth is not always convenient, and it's not always easy for us. And and you can read through the Old Testament, and you'll see there there are times where God allows Israel to engage in forms of deception to preserve the life of someone who's going to be attacked, who's going to be killed, who's going to be taken advantage of. There are times where it seems that people are instructed to remain silent instead of speaking out about what they know, for the the, again, for the, the safety, the preservation of the innocent and the weak. But by and large, when we approach the ninth commandment with the question of, I know I'm not supposed to lie, but when can I lie? We've missed the whole point of it, right? The whole point of the ninth commandment is God is a God of truth and we are to be people of truth. And in my experience and probably in your experience as well, anytime I find myself thinking, but is it okay for me to lie here? What I'm actually doing is just looking to justify a behavior I'm either already engaged in or really want to be engaged in. For most of us, we're not going to face a lot of these huge ethical dilemmas in life. If you do, the Spirit will lead you through it in the community He's placed you in. He'll give you wisdom to navigate it. But for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. Just don't lie. And the reason God hits this so hard is because lies destroy trust. And when there's a lack of trust, that makes everything around it crumble. So when we lie in our relationships, they suffer. When we lie in our culture, our economy, our political systems, our religious institution, all of these things feel the weight of it. When you lie as an individual, your heart, your mind, your soul are darkened by the entrance of sin into your life. When you're the one who's lied about or lied against, you know the pain that comes with that. And so God is being very, very clear to us, you shall not lie. And yet, we keep lying. Right? And, and no one had to teach you how to lie. I would bet none of your parents ever sat you down at four, five, six years old and said, hey, bud, today is the day you learn to lie. When they ask and it's yes, you say no and you do it with a straight face and you make eye contact because to avert your eyes is a dead giveaway. You never sat your daughter down and said, hey, today it's time for family lessons in deception and manipulation. Nobody wants that, but we all do it. We all lie. And, And the thing we really have to admit is nobody lies to you more than you. And nobody falls for your lies more than you, right? When it comes to breaking all of the Ten Commandments, every one of them in one form or another involves a lie. Believing lies about God, believing lies about why the life he describes doesn't apply to you, believing lies about others that, well, I know it says don't steal, but that guy's really bad dude, so I can take his stuff and God won't care. 
Right? In every sin, there is an element of falsehood. In every way we sin against God and against others, it's because we have embraced lies about who God is, about how, who we are, and about how the world works. And yet we just keep lying. And the reason we lie is because the truth comes and confronts us, but our lies comfort us. We tell lies to make our lives easier. Over the, the past couple weeks, as I've been reading through you know, just different ideas about why we lie, the ways we lie, the, the places we lie, what lying does to us individually, I came to a, a pretty surprising discovery that, that for most of the reasons we lie, those have been in my life since I was in kindergarten. All right, they probably go back before that, but kindergarten is for some reason where my mom remembers the stories of me lying all the time and chooses to tell them to my children in front of me. I don't know why she does that. So, so I started thinking about this this week, and uh, it, it just kind of, you know, the way the, the rabbit trails in your mind work. So I was thinking about kindergarten, I was thinking about lying, and then I thought about my kindergarten teacher, and then I thought, I wonder if she's still alive, because I remember her being really, really old when I was in kindergarten. And she had a really unique name, and I could remember her first name. So, you know, it's 2018, so I, I looked on Facebook, and I found her. And, and she was alive, and it reminded me, my, my, my memory lies, because I was five, and I thought she was ancient. She'd had a birthday recently, and it was a, a big one, so I could see how old she was. Today, my kindergarten teacher is 61 years old. <laughs> and I, when I started, I thought, I just hope she's alive, and if she's alive, she's probably sold. She doesn't even know what the internet is. You know, it, when I was... When I was in kindergarten, she was 29 years old. So this depressed me in a couple ways. First of all, to all of our young elementary teachers, you guys do such a good job. You are, you are hip, you are stylish, you are influential. But listen, don't worry too much about how you look when you go into school each day, because those kids all think you're 50 right? They, they just have no frame of reference. And then, then it made me really sad because I thought, man, if, the, if I thought a 29-year-old was old, then all these kids at church probably see me as just having one foot in the grave already. Like, that guy's practically dead. You know, they're going to graduate high school and look at me and be like, you're still alive? Like, I'm not that old, you know? But it's just, it's the way our mind works. So it's not just that we lie in the present, but sometimes even in our memories, we can't trust them entirely. The things you're absolutely sure were true aren't always true. Your, your mind deceives you. Your memories are faulty. But I started thinking, though, about the, the reasons we lie. And, and probably for most of us, the, the first time we started lying as a child was we lied to get out of trouble. So I was in kindergarten and uh, sitting there in class one day holding a, a pair of scissors, you know, the plastic ones, the safety scissors, holding those. And, and for some reason, I reached up and I grabbed my hair and I pulled it out. And I thought, I wonder if that will cut this. And so I went up right next to my scalp, and sure enough, it did. So I went home that day with a square cut out of my bangs. My mom said, Chris, what happened to your hair? And, and I just, my immediate response was not, I wanted to know if I cut it, if it would work, and I was checking the sharpness of, the, my immediate response was, Kelly did it. Who's Kelly? The girl who sits next to me, she cut your hair. Yep, I told her not to. She did it anyways. So my mom calls my teacher, and next day I go to school, the teacher calls me over, my old lady teacher, you know, all 29 years old of her. She was so wise, and, and she brought me over, and she sat me down next to her, and she said, Chris, did Kelly really cut your hair? 
no, she didn't. And so then I go home and got a spanking. And, you know, this was a pretty recurrent theme in my life early in kindergarten. But, but we lied to get out in trouble. You, you've had this conversation with your kid, with other kids, right? Who, like some of you parents this morning, it's Donut Sunday. Your kid already lied to you. How many donuts have you had? One while they're standing there holding two, right? Like there's just something in us. I'm going to lie to get out of trouble. And we keep doing this. The lie to get out of trouble is the first lie that humanity really commits. When Adam sins, what's his first response when he's confronted by the Lord? She did it, right? No, 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 God, that wasn't me. That was her. What's the woman's response? The snake did it. We are always looking to shift the blame, to get out of trouble. We lie because we think it's a a form of self-preservation. But what we know from our own experience is our lies only compound our sin. Lies never, you might escape consequences for a season, but you are headed down a slippery slope where you begin to believe, if I just say what I think people want to hear, I can get out of any trouble, I can get out of any consequences. And so the way the Holy Spirit comes and fights against this temptation to lie is he brings his conviction. And his conviction shows us this is not right, this is not how you, like just accept the consequences, receive God's grace, and choose to live in his life and freedom. But many of us still want to lie. We also lie because we want to impress other people. So again, kindergarten. Uh, there was a couple at our church, an, an older couple, legitimately older this time. They were in like their 60s probably, which I was five, right? 60s, not as old as it used to be. But um, so, so they, they had went on a vacation and they were so kind. They brought me and my siblings back little souvenirs and they gave me this little carved wooden turtle. It was like a sea turtle. I think they'd got it in, they'd either went to Hawaii or the Caribbean. But they brought it back, they gave it to me, so I took it to show and tell in kindergarten. And I'm standing up in front of the class, said, this is my turtle, and the first question my teacher asked is, Chris, uh, where'd you get that turtle? It had come from a, a family, a couple in our church. My response was, my grandparents who live in Africa gave it to me. <laughs> my grandparents lived in Kansas City and western Oklahoma. They had never been to Africa. They had never thought about going to Africa. But for some reason in that moment, it wasn't cool enough to say, my parents' friends gave it to me from their vacation. And I, I proceeded to tell a story about how my parents, my grandparents not only lived in Africa, they were missionaries in Africa. Little five-year-old me just lying to the whole class. Well, that was shortly before parent-teacher conferences. And so my parents come in and sit down and the teacher says, so which one of you guys' parents are missionaries in Africa? And I can only imagine that, I mean, I put my parents in this position so many times. And they're like, neither one. So they came home, I got a spanking, and was, had another lesson in we don't lie. It's like, okay, I got it. We don't lie. But, but you know, I did that as a, a junior, uh, not even junior higher, a five-year-old trying to impress my friends, Right? And many of us, we adopt that mode. We lie on our resumes. We lie about what we've done. We lie about who we know. We lie about where we've been, about how much money we've made. We lie in the early stages of a dating relationship about what what we're really looking for and what our strengths are. And, And all of these kind of things and all of these lies are rooted in a desire to impress. Because we think if I'm gonna get where I want to go, then I'm not good enough on my own. So I've got to embellish it. I've got to make it a little bit better. And what the Holy Spirit does for us is he comes to us and gives us a supernatural ability to trust God's timing and to trust God's provision. And so he he meets that temptation of, I've got to lie to get ahead and says, no, 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 just trust God 
with where you are, with what you're doing, and he's going to lead you and provide for you in the right time in the right way. And so, so we lie to get out of trouble. We lie to impress other people. Sometimes we just lie to get what we want right then because we don't want to wait for it. So again, probably kindergarten. This one might have been first grade, right? Maybe I'd learned enough to at least stop for a month or two. Went to my neighbor's house and knocked on the door to see if my, my two friends could play. And their mom told me, no, they can't play. What I should have said was okay and turned and went home. Instead, what I said was, oh, that's too bad. My family's moving to California tomorrow. And I really wanted to play with them tonight. One last time. You guys are moving to California? Sure, boys, come on, go out, play with Chris. So we, we play and we have fun. It's a blast. And, and I go home, I eat dinner. And after dinner, I'm sitting on the floor watching TV and I hear the knock on the door. My mom answers. It's the neighbor. And I know then, like, it's, it's over. I'm toast. And, and uh neighbor says, Gwen, you got, why didn't you tell me you guys were moving to California? At this point, my mom doesn't even have to ask. She says, Chris, get over here. Did you tell Kathy? Yeah. I, why? I wanted to play. Seems so rational, right? Kathy leaves. I get a spanking. Get the lecture about how we don't lie. But, but again, I, I wish that was the last time that I had been tempted to lie to get what I want. But it's not. And it continues to happen to us. Right? You're in, you're in the interview and the promotions between you and one of your coworkers. They start to ask about some of your achievements, and suddenly that thing that wasn't a big deal becomes this massive deal. You know, you know basically the company was on the verge of, of complete and total destruction, and I found the one flaw in the Expel spreadsheet that saved us and charted a new path to profit. No, you just did your job, right? Like, you know that guy, he, uh, he's always showing up late to work. He's uh, we'll, we'll lie to kind of put them down. We'll lie to elevate ourselves. We'll lie to get into a relationship. We'll lie to get out of a relationship. We'll lie to get, like, you've done this. Somebody calls you, hey, can you come with me? Oh, no, 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 sorry, I can't. I got a sick kid. And you don't got a sick kid. You just don't want to go. But it's easier just to kind of, th- these little lies, and sometimes those turn into really big lies. And sometimes our, our whole professional careers can be built on these massive lies of where we went to school or what we did. Sometimes our whole academic careers are built off the lie that you were as smart as the person sitting next to you, which you weren't. You were just really good at seeing what they were writing and then doing the same thing yourself. The problem with lying to get what you want is you have to keep lying to keep what you want. And eventually, you're going to get found out. Right? In, in one form or another, you're going to be exposed. And, and so again, the Holy Spirit comes to us, and he gives us the ability to trust God's provision. It, it ties in with what we talked about last week, this idea of stewardship. Just believing that what God has for me, he will place in my hands. The opportunities he has, he will lead me. I can trust him that he's going to get me where he wants me to be. And the last reason we lie, I mean, we could, we could do this for hours, but, but the last reason, and really it's kind of at the, the root of all of the reasons we lie, is we lie because our hearts are dark. Right? We lie because we are prone to sin. We, we lie because sometimes it's just really hard to live in the truth. When Angie and I have three kids, and when they were little, we would be driving in the car sometimes, and and inevitably, there would be some kind of a fight or some kind of a disagreement, and we would turn around to get on to the one that we thought was responsible for it. Right? And sometimes we'd be like, hey, why did you hit your sister? I didn't hit my sister. 
And, in, and all of our kids, they, I guess we had taught them enough about lying, and that's not something Jesus wants us to do. Their response, whenever they caught their sibling in a lie, was to look at that sibling and say in a very loud voice, you lying, you going to the devil. <laughs> Standard response, right? And we heard that a lot. And with their little speech impediments, sometimes it was you going to the devil, right? And, and it, was always, it was always entertaining. It always made Angie and I smile. And, and yeah, it was cute, but there was this undercurrent of truth to it. Every time you lie, you sin. And in our culture, we have figured out all kinds of ways to call lying something other than what it is. Call it exaggeration, right? We call it the party platform, we call it just doing what we got to do because our cause is righteous and theirs is not, so it's fine for us to do that. We call it massaging the numbers. Right? We, get, we got all kinds of words. We call it, yeah, I mean, in our context, our, our kind of South Tulsa, Oklahoma, we call it being polite. Right? What'd you think of that? It was great. Best song I ever heard. Because it's just rude to say, honey, I think you're tone deaf. Right? And so we, we just, we do it. But, but here's, it's, it's in the Ten Commandments, and it's in the Ten Commandments for a reason, because God wants us to understand to lie is to sin, and to sin is to open the, the, the doors of your heart, the doors of your life, to the enemy. And so any way in which you are tempted to sin in, in, in your relationships, in your career, in your academics, any way in which you are tempted to lie about your habits, about your hangups, about the things you look at, about the things you talk about, in all of these areas, the temptation to lie never comes from Jesus. It always comes from the enemy. And it begins to pervert your soul. It begins to change your vision, your ability to see others clearly, to see yourself truly, to see God for who he really is. And as you embrace a a lifestyle of lying and dishonesty in, in one area, it will eventually filter over into the other areas. Your lies will never be isolated just to your business. Eventually, they're going to filter into your family. Your lies, if you're lying in your academic career, you will be a liar in your professional career. If you're lying in your friendships, eventually you're going to lie in your family relationships. If you're lying in your, in your dating life, you're going to be lying in your married life. This is the way dishonesty works. The enemy never comes and is satisfied with just having a little corner of your heart. Those tentacles are always going to spread out. They're always going to creep and to crawl until every part of your life has been thoroughly corrupted by this culture of dishonesty that you've embraced. And eventually, that darkness takes you to the point where you even deny Jesus himself as the ultimate source of truth and begin to say he's one option among many. He's just another man. He's just another teacher. I am wise and able to chart my own way. And so if we're really honest, we all come to this point of having to acknowledge that not only do my lies comfort me, but I'm, I'm powerless to overcome them on my own. And this is where Jesus comes to us and really begins to provide hope for us as the only way we can live a truthful life. He says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus reminds us, first of all, the truth is not an idea, it's a person. If you want to live truthfully, you have to live with Jesus. Experiencing truth is experiencing Jesus. Left Left to myself, you left to yourself, our default is always going to be to break the ninth commandment. You will keep it most of the time, but you will never keep it all of the time. It's only Jesus who can come, who can transform our heart, who can give us the the desire and the ability to embrace truth. He himself is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Now, if you study other religions, you're going to find they all make similar truth claims. Of to live truthfully, to live honesty, you need to follow this, you need to follow that, this teacher, that teacher, these scriptures, this way of living. Jesus, though, is the only one who comes and claims to be the the absolute, the exclusive way to God, and then backs his claims up with resurrection. And so he gives and and builds this foundation where he says, look, if I can make a liar out of death your last and final enemy, then you can believe that I'm telling you the truth about everything else. And so in our search for truth, we are not so much searching for a system of belief as much as we are a person. And this is how Jesus presents himself to us. The way, the truth, and the life. He goes on in in John chapter 8 to tell us that the truth isn't just a principle, it's a presence. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, this statement is given in an extended teaching about who Jesus is and what he does and how we respond to him. As you accept that truth, you're, you're transformed by his spirit. But what he's teaching us in John chapter 8 is to experience the truth of Jesus it is not just to agree with an objective set of principles, but it is also to have an experience of his spirit living in me. That's why to, to become a Christian is always a supernatural event. It's not just, hey, I signed a card and agreed with 10 statements about Jesus. It's, it's not just I said the Apostles' Creed and I believe those things. But at some point, there is a supernatural moment of conversion where your identity is changed by the power and the presence of Jesus in your life. This is what he's telling us. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In another passage, he tells us the Spirit himself will come and he's the Spirit of truth. He will lead you in to truth. And, and so there, there comes this moment of, yes, objectively, historically, these things are reliable. We believe these things about Jesus. And yet the Spirit comes and he makes that truth personal. He activates it in our lives and enables us to live in the truth. And so from that space, it's not just about, okay, I need to quit lying because it's bad for me. But it's the truth lives in me. And the truth is going to shine his light onto every dark space in my life. The truth is going to push up and push out every falsehood, every deception, every half-truth and outright lie. And as the truth does that, he sets me free. Jesus could have also phrased this, you will know me and I will set you free. Jesus is the truth. And so we hear those things. And for some of us at times, it's, it's still we live in the space of like, I, I know that's true objectively, but it's still not true for me personally. If that's the case, I want to encourage you with one last passage this morning, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Paul writes, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You will never stop lying through your own efforts. Because there's always going to be a new temptation. There's always going to be a new problem. There's always going to be a, a, a new relationship where it's easier just to tell them what they want to hear so you can move on with your day. And there's always going to be the temptation of if I just tell this one little lie, it's going to have this massive reward for me, for my family, for my friends. And what Jesus is telling us is, is, look, in that space of temptation, your victory does not rest in your discipline. Your victory rests in your identity. You are God's children. You are his sons and you are his daughters. You have been adopted by him. He saw you at your worst, chose you, transformed you, and now you live righteously, not through your power, but through his. And in that moment, it's the Holy Spirit who comes and doesn't just say, hey, hey, stop it, stop it, stop it, tell the truth. But it's the Holy Spirit who comes to us in those moments where we are most tempted to lie, where we are most fearful of being exposed. And the Spirit reminds us, you are the son and you are the daughter of God. And he will lead you into freedom and he will lead you into truth. Which brings us to the the last thing we have to consider this morning. It's that truth and freedom can never be separated. For, For many of us, we long to live in the freedom of Christ but we don't necessarily want to get there through his truth. We long to live in his freedom in our relationships. We don't necessarily want to do the hard work of being truthful with each other. We long to experience perfect and final uh, emotional and mental and relational healing and freedom, but we don't want to tell the truth about who we really are and the things we're really involved in. But the the scriptures are very clear. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth, and the truth will set you free. And these things cannot be separated. You're not going to get his freedom without his truth. to, To put it another way, think of it this way. God will not bless your lies. Ever. He's just not going to do it. And we understand that. Logically, it makes sense to us. And yet we continue to pray for God's blessing in places where we reject his truth. We have marriages that are built on lies, half-truths, and the withholding of information. And yet we have the audacity to say, God, breathe life into my marriage. God, bless my marriage. And he's saying, I want to. Be honest with your spouse. Well, well, no, not quite, God, not, not that blessed, right? Just bless it a little more than it is right now. Right? We're, we're praying, God, bless my business. I'd love to, love to. Stop lying to your customers. Stop lying to your boss. Stop deceiving people. Right? God, God, bless my dating relationships. What I want most in life is to find the one then stop lying about your intentions. Stop lying about who you are. Stop lying about what matters to you. Stop lowering your expectations down so that any moron can jump over that bar. 
Right? But instead, let's just be honest with God. Let's be honest about what we're doing. Let's be honest about the things we're engaged in. Stop asking God to, to bless you, to help you on that test when your whole plan is to try to sit by the smart kid. He's not going to bless the things that he has explicitly told us not to do. And, and we understand that. But, I mean, think of it in the context of the other commandments. How foolish is it to pray, God, bless me while I murder this person. God, bless me in the act of adultery. God, bless me. Give my hand skill as I craft this idol that I'm going to worship. God, bless me as I break into my neighbor's home in the middle of the night and take his stuff. It's, it's stupid. And yet we are constantly asking God to bless areas of our life where we are willfully, deliberately, and repeatedly embracing falsehood. And the message of the scripture to us in these spaces is that truth and freedom will not be separated. And that, that can be really scary for us because for many of us, the fear of being exposed in our lives feels more painful than continuing to live in the chains of sin. And it's because we've misunderstood God's grace. It's because we've misunderstood his conviction. It's because we don't understand the difference between the, the grace and mercy-filled conviction of the Holy Spirit and the shame and embarrassment that our culture often attaches to those things. The worst thing for you this morning is not for your sin to be exposed. It's for you to keep living in darkness. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you know me, I'm going to set you free. He came proclaiming freedom. It's, it's the core message of his arrival, of his life, death, and resurrection. And so why would we choose to settle for less than that? And the reason we're, we do that is because we're scared of the consequences. Because we know the scriptures promise complete and total forgiveness. And yet there's a possibility that I'm going to have to deal with the consequences of my actions in my relationships. And if that's you this morning, I would, I would plead with you to trust the goodness, the grace, and the wisdom of God more than the voice of fear in your head saying you can't go down this road. It may create some difficult seasons. You, you know what? You, if, you've, if you've been lying in your marriage for a period of time, honestly, there's going to be a difficult season you're going to walk through with your spouse. As the light shines in, as trust is broken, it's going to hurt and it's going to be hard. And yet we also believe that God can be and is very, very gracious to us and he can restore and he can reconcile. And so, so I would plead with you, don't, don't live another year of just lying to your wife, of lying to your husband. Don't keep sweeping that stuff under the rug, but, but come and just surrender your life to the Holy Spirit. Ask for the help of the community God has placed you in. Seek his wisdom, seek his grace, and, and commit that, you know what, it might not get better overnight. But if you put in that, that hard three months, that hard six months, that hard year, that two years, your next 30 years can be remarkably different than your last 20. God is the God of new life, of second chances, of bringing life from the ashes. And maybe, maybe it means you lose your job. Maybe to live in honesty and integrity means that scholarship's going to go away because you're not actually smart enough to keep the grades. And, and the question we face in that moment is, do I trust God enough to lead me down his path? 
Or am I going to continue to cling to this path that he won't bless that's been built on my lies and dishonesty? The worst thing is not to have to move to a smaller house. It's not to have to work a couple years longer than you thought you would. It's not to have to have a hard conversation with your, with your parents, with your wife, with your kids, with your husband, with your grandparents, with a coworker, with a friend. The worst thing is to continue to believe the lies of the enemy that there is no way out for you. Right? And, and so what I want us to, to stop and just think about this morning is what if all your lies were exposed? Every lie that you are currently embracing this morning, what, what if it was just as obvious as these words on the screen right here? It's horrifying, isn't it? I mean, none of us want that. We don't want to be in that space. We don't trust each other enough to be that kind of honest. And yet what the scriptures tell us is this is exactly how we stand before Jesus right now. You might have fooled everyone in your life, but he's not buying what you're selling. You might have everyone else tricked, everyone else deceived. You might have built a a massively impressive life on your lies and deceptions. And God is not impressed for a single second. His desire is not for you to accumulate as much as you can by whatever means possible. His desire is that you will live in truth, integrity, and honesty before him. That you will walk in the light. And the the really beautiful message of the scriptures is is we do stand before God completely exposed. There's no way to hide. There's no way to get away from him. And, And he continues to come to us in our lowest moments. And he speaks grace, and he speaks life, and he speaks forgiveness. And so as you deal with the the lies and the dishonesty that you've embraced this morning, I want to encourage you to respond in three ways. The first way we respond is through confession. We're not going to make excuses anymore. We're not going to call it other things. We're not going to try to shift the blame. We're just going to admit, I have trouble telling the truth. I, I, I like to lie. I lie pretty naturally. I'm like the people Jesus talks about in John 8. Lying has become my native language. And so as you confess that first to God and then secondly to other believers, that's an important part of that confession process. We confess our sins one to another. As we confess, then we repent. We're saying, God, I have trouble with it and will you please forgive me? I realize I have broken your law. I realize I have sinned against your grace. Will you please forgive me? And then the promise of the scripture is not that God says, here's your works of penance, go do it. It's not that he says, yes, after you do X, Y, and Z. But in that moment, we confess, we repent, and God brings transformation. As you confess and as you repent, that spirit of falsehood, that spirit of deception, that spirit of manipulation is replaced by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's from this new space of spirit-empowered wisdom, spirit-empowered courage, spirit-empowered faith that you now walk into a lifestyle of honesty and integrity, trusting that the path God leads you on is the path to life. So we confess, we repent, and we're transformed. 
And as God transforms us individually, he's transforming us as a community and he elevates his people as a city on a hill, a light in the darkness that says, this is what honest relationships look like. This is what honest business people look like. This is what honest marriages look like. And it shines so brightly because our culture is bound in manipulation, in deception, and in falsehoods. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for you this morning. Holy Spirit, we come and ask for your conviction. Lord, I pray especially for those who are believing your lies. Lord, they're believing the lies about you, that you don't care, that you're overlooking things, that that, that the enemy isn't really attacking them. Jesus, they're embracing lies in their marriages. They're embracing lies in their businesses, lies in their dating relationships, lies in school. Holy Spirit, will you come and bring freedom to us this morning? Jesus, will you reveal yourself as the way, the truth, and the life? Holy Spirit, will you, in your kindness, lead us to repentance? Convict us of our sin. Lord, may there be an uneasiness in our soul that will not go away until we have confessed, until we have repented. Lord, I pray that as as we make those steps this morning, your spirit will bring transformation to us. Transform our hearts, transform our minds, transform our speech, transform our relationships. Jesus, through your power, may our yes be yes, may our no be no, may we speak the truth in love. May we be people of our word, people of integrity and honesty because your spirit is transforming us from the inside out. Lord, I pray for each person, for those especially that the, the, the idea of confession is terrifying to them this morning. Will your spirit come and give them courage to follow you into the light? Jesus, come and call them out of where they are and begin to lead them into where you want them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand with us, the band's going to lead us in a final song. As they do, if you would like someone to join you in personal prayers, we all have this need for God's truth to shine in our lives. So, So maybe you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe there's some significant areas where you need God's truth to really break through in your life and your relationships. If you'll head out those back doors and to your left, some of our pastors and volunteers will be ready to meet you in the prayer room to pray those prayers. The rest of us, we're going to sing this last song together just as a reminder of God's invitation to us to come in our brokenness, to come in our weakness, to come find new life in him. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.